0: Welcome to Cross Point this morning. My name is Cale, one of the ministers here, and we are so glad that you are here to worship with us today, especially if you are new with us. We hope that you have felt right at home with our family here today. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And by a show of hands, how many of you had to go around the table and say one thing you were thankful for? Nobody? A few of you? No one's thankful anymore. But. <laughs> I, I did read about one family online that they had to they had to make a list of ten and then go around and I don't know how big your table is but I can imagine that that might you know take some time and so uh, I hope you are thankful this morning though that there are things that you can quickly and easily think of you know one of my favorite stories of Jesus it's surprising uh, as many of his stories the stories about him are. Uh, you know, they're at the, the Last Supper that we call it. And imagine this for a moment. They're at this last supper, and Jesus stands up and he takes off his outer cloak and he he grabs the basin to wash their feet. Now, this job is below him. It is. It's, it's not only below him, it's below most people that are there. But Jesus grabs it and he begins to wash their feet. And Peter stops, one of the apostles, Peter stops and says, no, no, you're not going to wash my feet. Because he understands the dynamic here. He understands that this job is below Jesus. So you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, you have no part in me. So then he says, of course, well, then wash my feet. At the end of all of this, Jesus is trying to describe what he has done for the, to the apostles. And he says, do you understand what I have done for you? See, Jesus says, has flipped the script completely. Though this job is not his, he has made it his own. He's shown, showing them what it looks like to be a kingdom person. And he says this question. He asks them this question. Do you understand what I have done for you? And I think that he still asks us that same question. Do you understand what I have done for you? See, as we stop and, and we... I'm thankful for a country that stops to express gratitude... But if you were to stop for a minute and and try to answer the question, what have you done for me? I mean, that list would form itself, wouldn't it? The things that Jesus has done for you. And so today I want to ask, you might ask yourself the question, how do you practice gratitude? Now, I'm not going to give you a a five-step process for that, and if you want that, you can Google it and find that uh, quite easily. How will you express gratitude? How will you form this practice of gratitude? Because I do think it's important To have in your life. But maybe the the second part is also important. What will you do because you're grateful? Out of your gratitude, what will you do? And as Kyle mentioned earlier, we've been talking about mission month. What do we do because we're grateful? Well, we express that gratitude to all people, not just here, but all around the world because of what Jesus has done for us. Last week, Uh, We started this idea, and I want to continue today, of of mission is right where you are. So we we came in here today with a lot of different titles. You might consider yourself, um, you might call yourself a teacher, or a nurse, or a lawyer, or an accountant. And the list goes on and on. But what I hope you'll identify yourself as is a missionary. See, right where you are, that's where God has called you to mission, so here in our midst today, we have missionaries to Grand Prairie and Arlington, Mansfield, Midlothian, Cedar Hill, Duncanville. You want me to keep going? You, you get the point. The list goes on and on. Right where you are, God has called you to mission. And so I want to continue that idea today with three, I, three different ideas, three different thoughts. The first is this, that the church is important. The church is important. It's not just an accident that we're here today, but this is an important function of what it means to be a kingdom person. Now, when I was in college, my freshman year, was the first time I heard the idea of being spiritual but not religious. So my freshman year at Oklahoma State, I lived in a suite with four, there were four of us guys in there. And my best friend from high school was with me, and then these two guys that we had never met. And one guy in particular was not living what I would say is, was a kingdom lifestyle. Um, he was not a Christian person. We could see that quite evidently. I remember one time, you know, he, he saw us go to church, uh, sometimes on Wednesdays, sometimes on Sundays, but he knew where we were going. So finally we mustered up some courage and we said, hey, why don't you join us at church? Because you need it. <laughs> I don't think we said that part, but he probably heard that in our tone. And he said, first time I ever heard this idea, he said, you know what, I don't have a need for the church. I am spiritual, but I am not religious. See, on Sundays I can just get up, and I can read my Bible by myself, and I can pray by myself, but I have no need for the church. I I don't see a need for it, which I I think that Jesus would disagree. I think our scriptures would disagree, because our scriptures attest to the fact that the church is important. And there's all kinds of places we could go to this. And in fact, I would say the book of Ephesians is all about how important the church is. And I want to point you just to one passage in Ephesians this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Of him who fills everything in every way. This is a beautiful passage. This prayer, I wish I could pray like Paul prays here. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened to know what he has done for you. I I think that that passage ends in a surprising way, though. I don't know how you expected it to end, but he is declaring who Jesus is, and all rule, all authority, all power has been given to him for the church. Now, when I read that, a lot of times I think I read it and I understand it. It's like I expected it to say, "In the church, all rule, all power, all authority is His." In the church, as if this church has this you know power structure, but that's not what it says. It says all of this has been given to Jesus, has been entrusted to Him for the church. See, the church is important. The church was what God had in mind. In fact. If you read in the book of Acts, and you read about right after Jesus is ascended, what do the disciples do? Well, they start gathering together. They start coming together because the church is important. Because of what Paul says here, in the church is the fullness of the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. See, you and I individually cannot right now, because of who we are, we cannot fully represent Jesus. He, he is so far beyond us. But when we come together collectively, now we start to look like Jesus. And the early church knew this. It was important, so much so that they came together often, not every week, but almost every day. And what you see here is that the, the priority of the church starts to make its way and that people start to be attracted to that because of what they see when the body is gathered. Now, many of you are here today and more hopefully will watch online now or later, but those who are here, you can see how the church is important because I hope that every week that you come together, you feel, it feels different. This week starts different than weeks that you can't be here because it's important to be together. In fact, it's one of the first spiritual disciplines you learn. If you were raised in a Christian household is to to go to church and to go together together because a lot of times, there may be Sundays that kind of, they kind of bleed together, that you don't really remember one Sunday from another. Maybe there was a guest speaker. Maybe you did something um, interesting like our unity service, and those stick out. But otherwise, it becomes a discipline that you come to church. Now, the problem is, is that when we adopt our American mindset in the church, and our American mindset says, what's in it for me? So I'm going to go, and I hope, I hope I get something out of it. I hope it encourages me. It challenges me. Is What do I get out of this? And I hope all of those things happen, for the record. But what if you started to think about it as, what do I go and give to the church? It's not just about me, but that I have placed the church as a priority in my life, and I, it is a place where I give. As I said earlier, the church is not an accident, This did not, the the apostles, the, the first followers of Jesus didn't just stumble into this and say, let's just keep doing it. But God always had in mind that his people would gather together. There is importance there. Now, when the church comes together, because we're human, needs are going to arise. In fact, problems, issues will come up. And what happens when those things occur? Because we're human, these happen. And I love how The Bible gives us an example. So if you turn over to Acts chapter 6, this is what it says. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now I want to stop right there for a second. If you read in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, you'll see that the church was coming together every day. And among them it says there was no need because people would give. Now the early church was very attractive to certain kinds of people, especially those that were marginalized in the society because they had needs and in the church they could find a place that they could meet those needs. This is one of the reasons we gave out food last week because we still want to meet those needs for people. Now what you have here, you have a bunch of widows who are being overlooked, who are hungry. Now widows in that day and age could not just go and get a job and so if their family did not support them, They had a lot of needs, and that's where the church stepped in. Some are being overlooked here. So there's a problem. Verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, this is commonly thought of as our first passage and example of deacons being elected to the church, that these seven men. Now, the word that we commonly use for deacons is just a transliterated word. In the Greek, it's the same word, deacon, English, deacon. What it means when you translate it is a servant, someone who serves other people. That's what these people were willing to do, is to serve others. So they became deacons. Now, I grew up in a church that uh, every once in a while we would have potluck meals or special, special events, special meals. And we liked to do those in our church gym. And it wasn't a small gym. It was a big enough gym that would host high school basketball games. So we would put the bleachers to the side and we would have these meals in there. Well, we would get out this huge tarp. And it would take a bunch of people to get out these tarps to cover the floor so we didn't mess it up for the high school basketball games. Well, then after you do that, then you get out all the tables, all the chairs, and you're able to have a meal. Now, the problem with this is, is that my dad was a deacon at this church. And I asked him at Thanksgiving, what was your official title? And he couldn't remember. But I, I always called it this growing up. He's the deacon of moving tables and chairs. <laughs> so anytime something special happened, there we were, having to move tables, and chairs. What I love about this passage is that there is a problem and the church solves it. There's a problem here and they say, who is full of wisdom? Why is wisdom important? Because we wanna make sure everyone's getting fed. Who's full of the spirit? It's not gonna play favorites. Who's just going to give as it is needed? In fact, I would say our church and all churches today could learn from the creativity and flexibility that's shown here. They had a problem and they solved it. Now, what's interesting about this passage is they spend no energy, not that we know of anyways, no energy asking, why is this a problem? Because food had been been given out. Why is not everyone getting food that needs it? Who is not doing their job correctly? Who's responsible for this? They don't ask any of those questions. They just say, let's solve the problem. What I also love about this is that we have no argument from these men to do it. You know, some of them might could have said, you know... I give out food on a daily basis, so I don't really want to do that when I go to church. An argument that we sometimes hear in our church. Well, I do that every day, so I don't really want to do that at church, too. You know, I have a lot of skills and a lot of interests, and giving out food isn't really one of them. Is there something else that I could do? There was a problem, and the church solved it. There was no argument. There was no debate. They said yes, and they did it. And what we see here is another example that the church was a central part of God's plan in the world. That the church was important, yes, to first for some people to feed them physically, but then also to feed them spiritually. The church is important. There's a lot of work to do. Problems and needs will rise. What will we do when they happen? Now, the problem that we have, and I understand the irony in me saying this, the problem with our is today, when our church sometimes, is that when we have a problem, we hire it out. I am hired to work here. I understand that. <laughs> what happens is that we have these problems and we say, who can we hire for that job? And the problem with doing that is, is that it leads to, it continues our consumer mindset in church, that we go to church. We don't serve the church. We go to church and we can say, you know what? We'll just hire someone for that problem. We'll get someone to take care of that. Rather than saying, who here can solve that problem? And so hiring it out can limit what the church is capable of doing. I don't think this is an accident that Luke puts this verse at the end of the story. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, I don't think this is an accident. I think these two ideas are linked. Because the 12 got together and said, who can do this? And they said, let's find these seven. It's not 12 anymore, now it's 19. Ministry is expanding. And so the word of God expands and spreads. And I think the same thing can happen here. The same thing happens in our churches today. When we say, Yes, to expanding the kingdom. When we, when we don't let our qualifications or our interests hold us back, but we say yes, and it leads to this third idea that we all have kingdom gifts. Anytime we talk about gifts and talents, I always think in terms of when I watch sports on TV, man, I'd really love to have that gift or talent. That's not what I'm talking about. But I do believe that through the Spirit, we all have gifts and talents. The Spirit gives us exactly what we need for the work that we have been called to. The Spirit gives exactly what we need for the work we've been called to. So we all have different gifts and talents to use for the church. It's not for your glory. It's not for this church's glory, but it's for God's glory. God is using this church to to spread the love of God everywhere. And we could have gone to a lot of passages We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Paul writes a very similar passage in Romans cha- or in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He talks about that the body... Uh, we all are part of one body, that we're many parts. We need all of you. We need all of the parts. When I, when I read this, I almost wanted to cut out verse 3, which talks about don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. That I wanted to put humility to the side. Let's just think about the gifts. But I think it's important to add in that. Because I think a lot of times when it comes to serving in the church or serving anywhere, our pride can often get in the way. A few weeks ago, uh, we took our kids to see uh, Frozen the Musical over in Fort Worth. And we had a seat where we could look down into the orchestra pit. And it was really interesting to watch the conductor. And that guy, I mean, he works hard the whole time. I mean, he's not enjoying this. I mean, it is a job. He's having to pay attention to every single thing. Well, a famous conductor was once asked, what is the hardest instrument to learn to play? And he said, second fiddle. It's hardest to learn to be second. See, I think sometimes we come into church and we think about our gifts and talents and we think, well, that which I'm being asked to do, is, it's a little bit beneath me. It's not important enough. I mean, we talked about Philip last week, and Philip was a great evangelist. But also here he's, he's called and he's appointed to be a waiter, to hand out food. We know from Scripture that Philip had more to offer What if in that moment he said, you know what, I don't want to be over the food. I I can do something else. He didn't say that. The job was not beneath him. Humility is important when we think about the gifts that we want to exercise here at church. That we need to be willing to say yes. I love what it says here. So in Christ, though many, we form one body and each member belongs to each other. See, we need everybody. No one is more important than another. We all serve the same God, the same Father. We need each other. You know, many of you have been with this church for a long time. And and you all have a story of coming in here. Maybe this is your first Sunday here and you have your own story of how you found this church. Maybe you drove by or, or maybe you Googled it. Somebody in here told me before that they found this church on Yelp. I didn't know churches were on Yelp. And that we all find this place for one reason or another. But I think that there's more to it than that. I think God brings us together. I think spiritually, theologically, that God is putting churches together. Because, see, God has always had a mission for this neighborhood. God loves those people that live right there. So I think think God said, you know what, I'm going to put this church here To love that neighborhood, yes, but also all the neighborhoods around it. That's why we've been talking about missions. It starts here and it spreads all around the world. That God brings people together, which means that you're here intentionally. That God has given you through the Spirit a gift and a talent, and it's to be used, not for your glory, not for your pride, but that other people will come to know Him. That's what it's about. That's that's what all of this is about. It's about helping more people come to know him. So the church is important, but the church has needs. And the church is full of people ready to fill those needs. And Crosspoint is no different. This is an important place, not because we don't have self-importance, but because we have a mission that God has called us to. This church has needs, and that will continue to be the case, but I believe that you are here for a reason and that you may be the answer to some of those needs. Now, the question you may ask yourself is where do I start? How do I do that? And you can see any one of us and sometimes it's about praying to have the ears to hear, the eyes to see or as Paul wrote, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened to see the needs that are around you, to see how God has gifted you, has By his spirit giving you talents that can meet those needs. But here is what I truly believe, church. That cross point can be a force for good in the Metroplex. That cross point can be a city on a hill. A shining light to this neighborhood. So so much so that more people would come to know him. That this room would be full and overflowing. Because people would come to know him. But to be like that, church, in Acts chapter 6. It's going to take more people saying yes to that when we say, who are people that are full of the Spirit, that have wisdom, let's give them something to do. And it's the people saying yes. Now, I wanted to give an example as we close today of people who were serving already at Crosspoint. And there are so many examples that I couldn't choose, well, I decided to choose just one. This isn't to put them above anybody else, but there is a need that is met every single week at this church. I don't know what the date was, but there was a group founded here at Crosspoint uh, years ago called the Chairman, And they may exist beyond this building, but one of the things that this building, one of the problems that it brought us is that we use chairs instead of pews. And these chairs move. And this building does a lot of ministry. We do a lot of ministry out of this building every week. We move chairs out, we move them in, we rearrange them. And I don't want you to take for granted that every week these chairs are exactly where they should be. There was a group a few years ago put together by Russ Summers, Pat Langwith, Ken Melville, Charles Alexander. Some of you may remember th- those names. You may know Pat. But those people said yes. And you know what? They don't just come in here and just throw them out there. They got measuring devices. Like, they, this is a, there's a whole science to this thing. I've offered to help. They will not let me. <laughs> I don't have the gifts or talents for that. But you know what? They said yes. And so much so that that every week we come in here, we don't take for granted that things are as they should so that we can worship together. And there may be something that you can say yes to. It may be small and it may be big, but that this church is important, but it has needs. and You're here to fill that need. As we close today, our shepherds and their wives will be around the room. And I I want to invite you to go pray with them. Because you may not know where to start today, but that will be a great place. It's to go to them and, and offer up the prayer to God. God, show me what my gifts are. If you don't know, let us help you discover those gifts and talents. And we'll start with prayer. God, wake our hearts up to know how you have gifted us. Where we can serve. I know that everyone that walked in this room today has a prayer need. So the invitation is open for everybody that we want to pray with you. We will honor those requests and walk with you whatever it is you're facing. One of the things I love most about being part of a church family is how we sing together. You can sing praises to God by yourself, but it's not the same as singing it together. So as we close today, let's stand and lift up praise to him with one voice. (laughs)